Oh, Lord, come among us by your Spirit. Work in us, mold us, and shape us. Have your way with us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our lips be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, it's been an exciting week here at the church with our virtual vacation Bible school. And so many have participated in that and worked hard to make that um, a wonderful success, even far beyond what we had thought or imagined. And you'll be hearing a little bit more about that a few minutes on here in the service. Um, I do want to invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to the book of Jonah. The appointed lectionary reading for this morning was Jonah chapter 2. And as I prayed this week about preaching, I felt drawn to the book of Jonah, but beyond just looking at Jonah chapter 2, um, something I don't do that often, I felt very much drawn to do a four-part series from the book of Jonah. So we're actually starting with chapter 1 today, chapter 2 next week, following Sunday, Sunday I'm away, but then following my return, um, two more Sundays in Jonah, one for each chapter, so a four-week series. Even though they're not often talked about, some of my favorite books in the Old Testament are what we call the minor prophets. You know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and we could go on. And they're not minor because they're less important than the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Rather, they're referred to as minor because the books are smaller or shorter. Most of the writings in the minor prophets contain the prophet's words, um, to a specific nation or group of people, and most frequently that is Old Testament Israel, or in some cases the northern or the southern kingdom. But Jonah is different. First, it is different because the word of the Lord is to a pagan nation, a pagan city rather, Nineveh. And it is also unique because Jonah is a lot more biographical in content than most of the minor prophets. So the book of Jonah is about Jonah, but it's also about God and about his faithfulness and his unchanging character. And it is about the lengths to which God goes to see sinful, rebellious people, even just like you and me, brought into a real and living relationship with him. By way of background, we don't know a great deal about Jonah. We do know that he lived in the 8th century B.C., and the only other place in the Old Testament outside of the book bearing his name where he is mentioned is 2 Kings 14, verse 25, where we see that Jonah was a prophet from the northern kingdom during the reign of King Jeroboam II. I believe and trust that as we study the book of Jonah over the next four weeks, that God will speak to every single one of us individually and that he'll speak to all of us together as a church family. You know, sometimes as we look at the book of Jonah and we look at the person of Jonah, I think we will see ourselves reflected because sometimes like Jonah, we think we know just how God ought to do things. And when God does things differently than we think he should, as if we should tell the Almighty how he should work and act, we sometimes find ourselves frustrated or angry. So my purpose today is to begin to look at the call which, of God which came to Jonah and also to look at Jonah's initial response. And today we need, to see, we need to see how not only us, but how we, not only Jonah, but how we need to respond to God's call. 
And the ramifications of that, whether it be a response of obedience or disobedience, each of which has consequences. Consequences for us, but also consequences for other people as well. So the book of Jonah opens with God's call to Jonah in verses 1 through 2. Very simple and very straightforward. The call was as simple as you can get. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Go to Nineveh, that great city. The idea here is not of size so much as Nineveh was a city of great importance. And this simple, straightforward, easily understood directive from God must have scared Jonah. If we can put ourselves in his shoes, he certainly didn't like what he was hearing. Can you imagine? God, say that again, please. Nineveh was a city in the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was located in today what we know as Iraq, very near the city of Mosul, which we've heard so much about on the news in the past decade or so. Assyria was the arch enemy of the Hebrews, God's chosen people. Assyria was a brutally oppressive and clearly overtly pagan regime. The enmity between Assyria and the Hebrews was relentless. They justifications, which certainly often impact those closest to us. But our choice to obey or disobey can even bring hurt or blessing to people we don't even know. So let's start with the negative side of things, our disobedience. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. It is clear that God sent the storm because of Jonah's disobedience. And the wording here gives us a picture of just how violent and how specifically directed this storm was. It was the idea of hurled a great wind. In verse 4, really the pictures of God throwing a precisely directed wind at this ship, just like a warrior would throw a spear at a specific target or object. And all this happened while Jonah was down below the deck sleeping. But the sailors suffered the consequences because of Jonah's disobedience. People Jonah really didn't know. He had just met them when he purchased passage on the ship. And what happened here was not because of them, despite them being pagans and praying to their idols and gods, but it was because of Jonah. They were suffering the consequences of Jonah's disobedience. They lost the entire cargo of their ship, having to throw it overboard in an effort to keep the ship from sinking, a great financial loss. And later in verse 14, we also read that they experienced fear because of being concerned of guilt for taking an innocent life when they believed Jonah had died. When we disobey God, it impacts a lot of people besides just us. Don't let anyone ever kid you or me that our disobedience, your disobedience, mine, that your sin or my sin affects or hurts only me or you as the perpetrator. That is absolutely not true. Our sin hurts those closest to us and our sin at times hurts people that we don't even know. 
remember a number of years ago, the tragic story when Tammy and I were living in Springfield, Missouri, in seminary. We weren't married yet. We were, we were dating. And um, one of the large churches in Springfield, a wonderful church with wonderful godly leadership. Um, there was a prominent businessman in the community who was a member of that church and was actually on the board of that church. So he was the equivalent of what we would call a vestry member. And he had been at church on a Sunday night. Church had Sunday night services, left, told his wife he was going back to his office, which he did. And from all appearances, it looked as if someone had broken into the office and kidnapped him. He had disappeared. His vehicle was found in a state park 30 or 40 miles away. And there was a large search that went on looking for this man for a number of days. This was pretty close to Christmas. It was as I was coming home on Christmas break, but I was keeping up with this because it was big news. And, and it got, it, because of his prominence in the community, it got a lot of publicity. And this being a large church, they actually got involved with the search and hired some folks in the community with private planes to search to see if they could see anything, put up billboards looking for this man. His first name was Tim. And lo and behold, about two weeks later, it came out. He had gone to Memphis and was living with a lady who he was having an extramarital affair, an adulterous relationship with, and had faked his kidnapping. And it not only hurt him, obviously, and his family, but for those who were scoffers, it brought reproach on the church in the name of the Lord because the church doing what was right, trying to do the right thing, was then mocked and laughed at because the whole time this guy is a couple hundred miles away in Memphis, Tennessee, shacked up with his girlfriend. This poor man's wife and kids had to live with that. I mean, his sin not only hurt his family, it hurt his church. It hurt the cause of the gospel in the community and it brought reproach on the name of the Lord. And it's not just the big sins, how we respond to someone, how we handle and conduct our business affairs. can honor or dishonor. It can draw people toward or push people away from the Lord. Because to them, when we exercise even the smallest lack or breach of character, it is a reflection on God's character. And our disobedience has happened with this man in Springfield, Missouri, can even push people away from God and inhibit their receptivity to the gospel. Our wrong actions just might even keep them from being open to responding to the invitation to salvation. But the converse is true as well. Because when we obey, it blesses people. It blesses those close to us. It blesses our family. It's, it, it transforms our family life. It very much increases the possibility that our children actually will make true living commitments to Christ and serve him all the days of their life. It blesses those around us. And our walking in obedience will bless those, even people that we don't know. Just as God was calling Jonah to go to Nineveh and take the word of the Lord to them. But apart from others... How we obey or disobey also hurts us. Jonah's disobedience brought all kinds of unnecessary pain and suffering into his life. He ended up getting thrown overboard. He could have died. 
And certainly he thought he was going to die. And in the belly of the whale, he might have wished he was dead. When we obey God's clear will, we bring a world of trouble on ourselves. Not that obedience makes everything easy, but when we disobey, we can count on it. That we will bring a world of trouble upon ourselves, just like Jonah did upon himself. So where are we going with all this? Well, when the captain woke, up, woke Jonah up, I can't believe for a minute that it's coincidental that he used the exact same wording in the Hebrew to rouse Jonah as God did when God called Jonah to Nineveh in verse 2 of chapter 1. Arise, call out. Those words had to have rung in Jonah's ears because he knew deep down that this was all a result of his disobedience. Ultimately, disobedience rooted in an unwillingness to try to grasp the full reach of God's grace that it would extend even to a place like Nineveh. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Jonah's sulking disappointment came from a failure of imagination, a failure of heart. He had no idea what God was doing, the largeness of his love and mercy and salvation. He had reduced his vocation to his own performance. He was in the right place, doing the right thing, but he interpreted everything through his Jonah ideas, his Jonah desires. And we will see that play out as we move further along in the book of Jonah. God reaches out. God invites each of us, not because of who we are or because of our merits, but because of who he is. He invites us and reaches out with his grace and invites us into the life he has for us, a living relationship with him. Erwin Lutzer, the late pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, said it this way. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. Perhaps you think God cannot or will not forgive you. He can and he will. Or perhaps as a believer, you or I think that God cannot or will not forgive someone else. That somebody else is somehow less deserving of the grace of God than we are. If that's the case with either of those, God is calling us, and this is so much about what the book of Jonah focuses on, God is calling us to repent. If it's you or me, to repent and turn to God because you are not beyond the reach and the grasp of God's incredible grace. And he's here offering you life this very day whether you be here in person or watching via the live stream. And if you or I, and I think in subtle ways, we've all been guilty of this, perhaps some of us in overt ways, think that somebody else is beyond the reach of God's grace or somehow they are less deserving of the grace of God than I am or than you are, we need to repent of that because that is nothing but human pride ruining its ugly head in our lives. And that will keep us from being about our Father's will and reflecting our Father's heart. Brothers and sisters, the grace of God reaches down. The grace of God reaches out to every single person, beginning with every one of us right here and watching via the live stream this day.
And he calls us to turn to him, to experience his grace, and then to walk in obedience, to experience the blessing of obedience in our lives, and then through us, that obedience to God would bless those around us and people we don't even know through his gracious work. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your great grace, most profoundly demonstrated in that you sent your son, the one who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That your son bore our sin, and through his blood we are saved and cleansed and set free. So, Father, pour your grace afresh into our lives. For those here and listening this day who need to understand the depth and the width and the breadth of your grace, Lord, impress that upon us afresh. That you are here, arms open wide. It's a faithful, loving Redeemer, a God who can make all things new. And, Lord, Speak to our hearts. Give us your heart and your mind that we would understand in a fresh and deeper and more profound way the extent and the reach of your grace and that no one in no place is beyond that reach. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.